Good morning, Trinity Bible Church. Good morning. Welcome to those who are, who are visiting. We are continuing in the uh, epistle to the church in Galatia, uh, written by the Apostle Paul. Uh, this morning we'll be covering chapter 5, verses 16 through 26, or 16 to the end of the chapter. I'll be reading this morning, starting in verse 13, going all the way to 26. As always, if, if you're here commonly, you will know this, but if you're visiting, I'll read through the entirety of the passage, and then after the reading, ask for a time of silent prayer on everyone's behalf, uh, contemplation on on your own heart and mind as you come here uh, to public worship this morning. Uh, If there are unconfessed sins, if there are um, great anxieties that you come bearing this morning, uh, this is an opportunity to unload all of that as the Holy Spirit, if you are a believer who indwells you, is leading you to understand that those things belong to Christ. So confess this morning, whether that be sin or heartache or anxiety or fear. And then after we have our time of silent prayer, I'll pray for us corporately as we enter into the time of the word. Reading now, 5, 13 through 26, albeit covering 16 through 26 today. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, But through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Please take this time in earnest prayer. Heavenly Father, as this assembly gathers this morning, as we 
celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ in public worship. We do so to stand apart from the rest of the world at this moment, to show that, to speak the truth of the Son, Jesus Christ, and His gospel message that rebels and sinners Haters of God by nature are now inheritors of his righteousness. Made new, a new creation from the old. As sons and daughters, as pilgrims in this fallen world, empowered by God the Holy Spirit through the sacrifice of the Son, called to walk this life, this time that we have as ambassadors, as heralds to the King, called to live a life that reflects His glory. And yet so often, God, we fail. More than anything, the church needs this morning to be reminded of the glory of the grace of God, to be empowered by His mercy, to be reminded of His great work. That our affections would be stirred by the Holy Spirit to pursue Him to emulate him and to look forward to the time when he will come to gather us to himself. Until such a time, Lord, challenge and comfort your people this morning through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. Ending last week's verses, you'll see that that one of Paul's interest, or you kind of see the the main kind of issue that's happened based on the teaching that has hit Galatia in Paul's absence. Uh, The Judaizers have brought a new teaching, a new gospel that, that is emphasizing a legalism of life, living life according to the standards of the Old Testament law which have already been fulfilled by Christ, which have already been acknowledged that that no one in the history of, of Jewish life has ever been able to fulfill the law until Christ. And yet, so this is now a, a they are made free in Christ now only to bind themselves once again to slavery of the law. But last, last week, towards the end of, of that first portion of five, you see that what this has brought about within the church of Galatia, which would have been multiple churches in the area of Galatia, where this teaching had spread, was that amongst these churches, what was evident among the work that they were producing with one another is to bite and devour one another. And so Paul's in 13 saying, calling them to freedom, but not as an opportunity to serve the flesh, but through love serve one another. And this is how he goes into this next portion, this next portion which you can only, if you can get what we're going to go through today, my hope is that whatever area of life, whatever error you might live your Christian life by, whether it's leaning too far into license, which is too much into a, a, a lifestyle that says, I'm, I'm saved in Christ, my destination is heaven, and so now while I'm here, I'm free to live however I want, which is another type of slavery, slavery to sinful behavior, to wantonness, or which is also called license. Or legalism, which has more often been the case, particularly in this 
teaching in Galatia, whereas is there is this idea of now that I am free in Christ, my adherence to the law must be something that is doggedly guarded and followed. And so my life will be one of do not, do not, do not, do not, and no one else around me. And so once again, rather than embracing your freedom in Christ, you've gone once back again into slavery. So both of these areas, I guarantee people in this congregation struggle with license, legalism. But it's interesting that Paul points towards the end of last week's reading, the antidote being love and serving one another. So I don't often do this because it makes me uncomfortable. But I'm going to talk about myself. That's good that no one laughed because I don't like talking about myself. Actually, talk about my family because I want to give this congregation an example of how you have loved our family. Most of you know that that we had plans this summer for a sabbatical. Uh, There was a bit of a detour. And so as we left for kind of a 10-day getaway that was going to be a do-nothing and that kind of thing, and the plan after that was I was going to do some writing and praying. We were going to do kind of all these things. And, and something happened with the plumbing in our house, and the house was flooded and, and destroyed. I say that as, as flippantly as I can because so many people, including people in this congregation, have gone through that before. It's not fun, but it's also not life-ending. There was all kinds of good that came out of it. But what was one of the most encouraging things was was the reaction of the congregation. Some of it was really funny, like, I know I'm not supposed to talk to you because you're on sabbatical, but I just want to say I hope you're okay. I was like, when did I say no one could talk to me? (laughs) I got that like five times. We know your greatest desire is not to speak with anyone, was how I read that. Things I have to work on. How I project myself. Uh, And, of course, just the overwhelming reaching out. There was a group of people that were there immediately at the house. Brand is not here. I called him. He was going on vacation. I said, please break into my house. And he's like, yes. And so (laughs) other people in the church were there immediately kind of even saying, like, it's bad, just, just so you know. And through the midst of all of it, what Christina and I were, were most, and my kids as well, we, we were just like we're on this sabbatical, you're supposed to do these things, but all we wanted to do was be at church on Sunday. And so the first Sunday we weren't here when we came back to Houston, that was the kids and Christina are like, why are we visiting this other church? This church stinks. Knock it off. We want to be at our church. We want to be around our people. We want to be with our congregation. And so I want to say that this congregation has loved well. And and it's not just us. We see, the elders see, how quick everyone is to serve one another. So I just want to commend the congregation that, not just from firsthand experience, but witnessing the love that you guys have shown each other through the years, through multiple circumstances, has been such an encouraging thing as one of the leaders of the church. And I often feel that what you get up here is often work on this rather than what great work the Spirit has wrought through the love that you guys have shown one another and to us. So congratulations and thank you. The most important thing is some anointed soul got to our house and immediately realized Those are big, big, thick, old books. We should put them somewhere. Because I lost a couple of beauties. I lost Voss. I lost Horton. There were tears. But then just two days ago, as I was opening a table and looked inside, books I thought were gone, there it were. It was like you could hear the music when I opened it. it It was, you know, it was like opening the Ark of the Covenant, except you didn't melt. There was Calvin, there was Bavink, 
And I was running around, look, look, Christina, they're okay. And she's like, yeah, that's, that's amazing. Um, we also have our house back. Oh, yeah, 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 but look, Baby Calvin. I was asked to share this morning, and so I thought I would. And, and the encouragement I want to give to you uh, as a loving congregation, and I know that we are not the only people that have felt that through the years, and so continue in loving each other well. Now, to 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. And these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Now Paul's really diving into it in these last verses. As you could hear from the reading, the real issue, what is building this contention among you? What is causing you, which this phrase in 15 of bite and devour one another is something that is, is reminiscent of wild animals, wild dogs tearing each other apart, biting, tearing, and consuming one another. So the imagery is, is of rabid self-destruction. And so he's pointing them now to the reality of why the Christian man and woman lives or acts or does the things that they do. And so he gives them one of the most important teachings you could possibly understand is who you are. And so one of your your translations may say the flesh, or some of yours might say the sinful nature. And the sinful nature is probably a better understanding, not a better translation, but a better understanding of what Paul's meaning is here. Flesh, or this word for flesh, can mean generally three different things in the New Testament. It can mean the sinful nature. It can mean just talking about the physical body. It also can just mean humanity or humanness in general. But here, Paul's meaning is clear that he's talking about the sinful nature. And he's contesting it against something else. So, look again. Walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh or the desires of the sinful nature. For those desires of the sinful nature are against or contend or at war against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to one another, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. He's telling you, you, because the audience is confessing, believing Christians, you are more complex than you realize. You are Still sinful. Yes, if you have believed in Christ, God in eternity of past loved you, chose you. And the moment you came to faith, he had determined. And through the sacrifice of the son, his death taking on your curse, taking on your judgment, taking on your punishment, released you from the due penalty of your own individual sins. And then to prove it, God the Father, God the Son, sent God the Spirit to renew you the moment of your salvation, giving you new life, making you a new creation. And as such, being made new, you are now fully realizing the extent of your sinfulness. And the Spirit drew you to repent. In that moment, you were sealed. In that moment, your destiny was set. In that moment, you were shown, in a small way, your future inheritance. And yet, you are still a sinner. 
And that very nature called the flesh here, that very nature wars against you. Don't make the mistake of thinking flesh going, well, it's this arm, this hairy arm. That's the flesh. No, it's more than that. It's talking about who you are. There's a corruptness to you. And while the spirit has regenerated you and sealed you, it hasn't completely made you new and sinless. That's not until the finality of Christ's return. It's why Paul is always pointing to the return, the second advent, as the true hope of the Christian man and woman. Because then there's a finally, finally this sinfulness, this rebellion will be done away with. No longer will I have this war that Paul is talking about with myself. So when Paul writes, the spirit walk by it. Why? So that you will not gratify, you will not bring to an end the desires of the sinful nature. The desires of the sinful nature are always there. So Paul gives a clue. If you're walking by the spirit, those temptations that come upon you, if you're reminded of the hope and the glory of Christ that awaits you, and you're honest with the fact that I know I am sinful, I know I'm a rebel by nature, I know, and it just takes a moment, it takes a hesitation, a lack of discipline for me to take that temptation to completion. Paul's saying, here's how you fight it. Walk by the Spirit. And you will not bring that to an end. You will not gratify the sinful nature. Then he goes on to say, for they are opposed one to the other. The sinful nature, the Spirit. And then uses these words that are, are wartime words of being opposed and against one another. So understand this. If you are a believer in Christ, you are at war with yourself. And if you do not take that seriously, if you do not realize that, you will find yourself again and again falling prey to the same things because you haven't rightly reckoned with who you are. And even look at the way that Paul writes this first section opposed to each other, against one another. Why? To keep you from doing the things you want to do. Paul uses the same language for himself in the book of Romans, to where he ends it with, who will save me from this body of death? It's a a reality of who you are. Think of it this way. If you are a believer in Christ and you sin, what is the first emotion you feel? Shame, guilt. Do you know what that is? It's the spirit convicting you of your your sin, convicting you of indulging in this sinful desires, bringing it to completion, and the spirit convicts you. Shame, guilt, I hope, repentance, confession. So the spirit is contending against your sinful nature. And your sinful nature is contending against the spirit. So that's the point of saying you don't even do what you want to do. When you sin and you find yourself suddenly laying back or looking back or walking down the street or wherever it's hitting you and you're going, how did I end up here again? Why am I at this place again? You are at war. And when you're at war, there can be, unlike in a civilized war, there can be no prisoners. You have to wage uncivilized war against yourself through the power of the Spirit. 
and the church that is marked by an idea of flirting with culture. The idea of, well, a little bit's not too bad. If I listen to this, if I look at that, if I talk in this manner. Is there contention? Is there war? Paul continues. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. This is, he's including, he's telling the church who they are in that particular verse. If you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. And here goes one of his lists. And I don't apologize in advance for the things that are listed for the parents who have children in the room. Um, Part of what you do is going to be explaining to them things that they don't need to know what they quite mean yet, as well as those who you need to have a conversation with. And so I'm not going to get graphic, and so you're welcome. But I am going to kind of contend with or look at this list that Paul brings. Now, I want you to see what he's saying here. Look at the specific way, as was I talked about, license and, and le- uh, legalism. Most of you probably don't suffer with license. Most of you probably suffer with legalism or the teaching based on the, the, the type of church that you've probably come from or a part of or are used to in the Bible church world or the conservative evangelical world. You've probably struggled more with legalism than license for most. And so when you're thinking of that, and you're thinking of work, look at the way that he is going to phrase this as those who are his opponents are talking about or boasting about the work of the flesh and circumcision and adhering to the dietary laws and the cultural laws. Now, the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. Now, this is a list that he uses elsewhere in 2 Timothy, almost to the T. The works of the flesh are evident, and they're kind of in different categories. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality. These are all summed up in the same way that you would say under that heading of sexual immorality. He's telling them this is the evidence of one who is working according to the flesh. That their life is one that is is dominated by sexual impurity. Now, when we talk about cultural things... The culture of the West is one that will tell you all of these things are good. All of these things are virtuous. The freedom to love whoever you would want. But we know that that, again, is another type of slavery. And by the way, that was a prevalent view within Greek and Roman culture at the time, albeit not Jewish culture. So Paul addressing his audience, addresses this thing, the big elephant in the room that no one wants to talk about in any culture is that sexual sin is slavery. And men and women throughout the history of the church have been bound by it, as they are today. Idolatry, sorcery, Enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy. The next list is more of a general list, but you'll see he's not partitioning one, the first group, from the others. Idolatry is clear, the worship of other gods. Sorcery is, a, is a, actually a kind of a strange word in the Greek. It's, it's where you get pharmacy from. And it's also probably translated as witchcraft in some of... And so there's idea of the people who probably go too far with taking what that would mean to applying it to kind of modern things. 
but the idea is that these were the, the, the people who, who dealt with poisons or, or, or natural remedies for an unwanted pregnancy, uh, as well as, as doing away with someone later in life, where you would say things like abortion or euthanasia. Now, that's certainly a part of it. I don't think you can go with just the word pharmacon being used as say this is exactly what was intended, but certainly the realm of where that existed in this culture, Paul is probably pointing out to. Enmity and strife. Enmity actually means hatred. Strife, of course, means fighting. Jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, So he goes from sexual immorality to idolatry, the worship of other gods, to uh, sorcery-ish, to enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, and divisions, envy. Eight. Eight things that are basically summing up what he's already said that the Galatians are dealing with with one another. So he goes back, right? It goes back to the work of the flesh is made evident and it is in rivalry against the spirit and so what does it look like if someone is indulging the flesh it's these behaviors it's these actions and the way that he's going to write later when he says they will not inherit he the verb that's attached to it is meant like in perpetuity someone who does these all the time so he is making a difference between acknowledging that Christians still commit some of these sins. That's evident. But think of that for a second. It's easy, just as it would have been easy for this crowd, just as it would have been easy for this church to go, oh, yes, sexual immorality, sensuality, yes. Oh, it's, it's, it's disgusting. Shame on you. Okay. Sorcery, say it is, all the way to abortion, euthanasia. Everyone knows that's horrible. What evil people? How dare they? Okay. What about enmity? Essentially the word meaning hating your brother. What about strife? Contending with one another. Okay, so maybe some of you are like, I'm super calm, I get along with everybody. Well, now we're going to deal with a little something that isn't quite as noticeable. What about jealousy? Which really kind of forms in terms of looking at the laws. Paul is playing this beautiful exegetical picture, if you will, of, of using all this Old Testament imagery to kind of do what Jesus did when we're going through the Gospel of Matthew, where he's pointing to the people to say, it's just not these gross outward sins that you should be worried about. You shouldn't pat yourself on the back and go, look at me, I'm not doing these really, really bad things. And yet Paul brings it all the way down, just as Jesus does. What about the thoughts in your mind when you see what someone else possesses and you want it? What about that? Struggled with covetedness? Struggling with Jealousy, be honest with yourself. That's in the same list. Fits of anger. Rivalries, dissensions, divisions. Fits of anger is is a word combination that kind of means explode. Here's the reality of fits of anger or people that have really bad tempers. You don't get to make the excuse of that's the way I've always been. Exploding in anger, losing your temper is evidence of what does it say? Works of the sinful nature, indulging in it. Often this happens behind closed doors, between spouses, parents and their children, and everyone don't talk about it. It's in the same list. 
evidence of indulging sinful nature. Rivalries, dissensions, divisions, that's all kind of the same thing. It's not a fun like, he's my rival. No one ever had a rival growing up and like enjoyed, you saw each other across the playground like there he is. You hear music in your head, you start slowly marching toward each other. Make sure there's no teachers. It's Thursday. It's rival day. Kids don't know what they're missing out in school these days. Dissensions, divisions, envy. Envy kind of going together with jealousy. Then two more actions, drunkenness, orgies. Those two actually go together. That last word, I won't say it again, um, is more than what you probably think. It has to do with a large-scale idea of of partying and revelry in general, a spirit of someone who it's tied together with drunkenness, a person who lacks discipline in, in their life by being reveling in drunkenness, parties, and, and kind of that kind of idea. And again, this can go another way, which I don't have time for. Drinking is not condemned, just as eating is not condemned. Overindulgence in either of those is always condemned. Always. Don't fool yourself otherwise. Those are evidences of indulging in the sinful nature. Just as all these other really terrible ones are. What's Paul's warning comes? He lists all these things and all these people, just like most of us are going, geez, I yelled at my kids yesterday. Sometimes I yell at myself in the mirror. I saw so-and-so's new car. They got this. I had a too few many drinks, but that's okay. It was, it was, it was pretty fun. Yeah, I, I, I argue with this person and we kind of, our, our relationship is broken, but you know, they're wrong. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, this warning to this church is not, if you do If you sin in some of these sins, you're not going to heaven. That's not the message. That's the continuous, the way that he writes that is someone who's doing this perpetually. Someone who's indulging in any of these as a kind of, this is how I live, this is who I am. That's evidence of the fact that they might not be a believer. What is not added there? You guys should probably make a council there in Galatia so you can write names down about who's living certain ways and make sure you go to their house, knock on their door, and tell them, you're probably not a Christian, stop coming to church. There is no church police unit. There is no church FBI organization looking out for who might be sinning more than others. Did you catch that? The reality is, is that this will be made self-evident. In the book of Hebrews, the person who, the people who were once among them and are no longer there any longer, showed that through their leaving the church, through their leaving the blessings of the church and the life they lived afterwards, that they weren't among the church. And yes, there is the account in 1 Corinthians of an actual excommunication of someone who's living such a wanton and and sinful lifestyle and is boasting about it that the church is given no other option than to put them outside of the fellowship after being confronted. But by and large, be more concerned with your own war. Parents, How are you telling your children and showing them every day that if they are confessing Christ, that the fruit of the Spirit will grow through time, just like you, who is not yet a completed work? Or 
Is it more of a conversation like, well, I'm not quite seeing fruit in your life. So we're not going to baptize you. We're not really seeing fruit. Are you sure you believe in Jesus? You didn't obey me the other day when I said scrub the floor. You kind of wiped the floor. You didn't scrub it. God says obey your mother and children. Is there any conversations like that happening in your house with your children? Now, this isn't to say that children don't have to obey their parents, kids. What I'm saying is that when you're communicating the gospel and what it means to be a Christian, are you letting them know that they depend solely on God's grace and the work of the Spirit in their life, and that is a long road filled with hardship and patience, and are you showing them that? Are you acknowledging that? Make sure that you're not turning your children into little legalists. As I say this, I want you to understand the pain I feel in my heart right now as one who has been convicted of that over and over again with his own children. Spouses. This one will hurt. Everyone who's been married or will be married will be hurt by their spouse. You'll be let down by your spouse. And the reality is what it can happen to us is that we begin to start our own mental checklist. Maybe they're not. I haven't seen a lot of fruit of the Spirit lately. I haven't seen like this where we begin this terrible, terrible way of viewing one another. Paul is not calling us to police one another in these verses. Paul is calling this church to take full recognition of their sinful nature and the impact it has on the way that they live. And so he takes this list of the work of the flesh. The flesh is working towards these things. Your sinful nature is working towards these things at all times. But, in verse 22, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Look at that list. Do any of those things come natural to you? There's a few honest no. No, no. Then there was a few questionable. (laughs) The works of the flesh. The works, you could say it this way, of the sinful nature, of humanity in its natural fallen state is the works of the sinful nature. It was who you were before you became in Christ. There was no war. There was just agreement. These things are great because they're all bound up in the same idea. Absolute rebellion. Absolute desire to do the opposite of what God desires his people to do. And then so the works of the flesh are evident. And he doesn't say work again. The fruit of the Spirit. Understand the fruit of the Spirit is growing. And it is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Do you know why none of those things are natural to you? Because they are divine attributes. They come from God. And so when you have fallen man and woman, and their nature is demanding this former list, 
and to indulge in it all times for the purpose of self-destruction and the glee of Satan. When the spirit comes upon someone and the war begins, you're infused by God's spirit, creator of heavens and earth, and you, and the one who has made you a new creation, which will be consummated when Christ returns into the fullness of their new creation. And as a new creation, indwelled by the spirit, the very attributes of God are growing in you. Do you hear me? The spirit is producing the work in you. You are not working. If you try to work, if you're making a list of your good works, you're not getting what Paul is saying. The Spirit is producing fruit in you. And then it goes back to the earlier verses. The war. The flesh doesn't want those fruit to blossom. And so... Paul writes these beautiful passage. Gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus crucified the flesh with its passions, excuse me, and desires. If we live by the Spirit, Let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another. The language here and the words used are very interesting. It's tied to the idea of of pedagoguery, which was something that was was common back in in ancient Greece. It was the idea of, of how a teacher would teach their student. And it was done by walking. You would walk with your student and teach. And so you went from step to step throughout your life with the teacher leading you and you listening to them. And as you listened, you would learn and you would grow. That didn't mean you were going to be perfected into what the teacher wanted you to be. But through this time, you were growing as you walked with your pedagogue. You walked with your teacher. In the same manner, this is the language Paul is using to describe life when he's talking about 16, walk by the Spirit. And in 25, we live by the Spirit. Let us also walk by the Spirit. Who is your teacher? Your teacher is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit that has sealed you and regenerated you and dwelled you, marked you the one who illuminates your mind and heart so that when you read the word and you hear the word, it cuts to a heart made of flesh and no longer stone. So it illuminates the idea of a life of patience, of walking with the Spirit, of being in the word, contending against the flesh with full understanding, sober understanding of who you are. And in the moments when you're doing great, you've been praying, been reading, being nice to your your family and your neighbor, and all of a sudden, there it is, out of nowhere flesh, sinful nature, calling you, calling you to indulge. And that is Paul's point. That is the moment when you're supposed to go, oh God, remind me please by the power of the Spirit, the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, that this that I war against right now was nailed to a tree and it was put to death and I no longer have the guilt of it, but God help me now not to fail. Remind me of Christ. Remind me of his glory. 
remind me of his goodness and his mercy and his perfection because I am none of those things. And yet God loved me so much that Christ died for me. And as Paul will write later, flee. Flee from sinful desire. Your life will not be perfect. You are going to fail. You are going to sin. But it ought not be the ease with which you indulged in it before you were a saint. The Spirit is sanctifying you. These works of the Spirit are blooming in you. And I can tell you that by knowing many of your lives and hearing many of your stories and many of your failures in how you love one another. The Spirit is at work in you. If we live by the Spirit, let us walk by the Spirit. Heavenly Father, I pray. I pray for our church. I pray for an honest reckoning of our own sinfulness. An understanding that in spite of that, the worth that you saw in us in eternity past is invaluable. The inheritance that you have set aside for us is incalculable. The very righteousness of God has been given to us. Let us lean into that truth in our times of trouble. When we find ourselves in desert wanderings, let us be reminded of the Spirit who is with us by day and by night, who provides our every need for us and constantly reminds us that we have been redeemed out of the slavery with which we once were defined. Strengthen our hearts and our minds as you produce the fruit of the Spirit within us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.